If you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that we've been collecting items for one of the ministers of our church called Laundry Love. And so this is officially what we call a blessing Sunday. It is something we intend to do going forward in the life of Connection where we'll identify a need in the city of Starkville, figure out how as a group we can participate in that need, whether it be Laundry Love, which is over at Brooksville Gardens, I'll explain that in a minute, or the school system, or foster parents, or whatever the Lord presents to us. And if you have a particular passion, I will tell you, I need to know about it. Maybe there's a way that this group can respond to needs as they're presented. All right? So the idea would be to turn on your spiritual, your spiritual radar and go, you know what? This particular group, or this family, or this need needs the attention of the body of Christ. Then communicate that with me so we can put that on our collective radar. Uh, if you ever want to participate in Laundry Love, I know it meets tomorrow at Monday at 10, but Cindy, Cindy Melby was here last week to share it. I can get you in touch with her if you want to be a part of that. It's a cool ministry that they do. And so what we, what we have over here, it looks like somebody's been to Walmart, you know. Uh, we have a collection of items. Laundry Love, if you don't know what that is, it's a group of ladies who go to an apartment that's honestly, it's an apartment complex in our town that's 100% below the poverty level is what she shared last week. And so things like 409 that we take for granted, they struggle to put into their budget. Government assistance doesn't pay for it. And so it's a challenge. There might be a single mom who's trying to figure out rent, let alone clean stuff. And this group of ladies from our church, they go and they do Bible study with them every other week and they help them with laundry and supply them. And so we as a group for the past few weeks have put together a collection of items. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray over these items and over the ministry of Laundry Love before we enter our time and word together. And uh, we'll talk some more about Blessing Sundays in the future. God, thank you for this time, this chance to be in your presence and worship. But we know that we are always in your presence. We just pray that it will be with us in a special way today as we worship. But we lift up the families that are a part of Laundry Love's ministry a part of the Brooksville Garden, families who are trying to get by, but know that they are loved through Cindy and her friends who minister to them and open your word with them. We lift them up to you this morning. We pray that if they don't have a church home, they would find a church home, that they would discover what it means to know you, that they would see Jesus in the faces of the ladies who lead Laundry Love. Lord, we lift up these items that have been donated. And we pray that those items, mundane, everyday items, would be a part of the relationship you build with those families. That in our generosity, they would feel your presence and your love and know that they are blessed. In your precious son's Jesus' name, amen. All right, so deep dive this morning. I want to place you in first century Israel as best I can. I want to give you some outline, some context for most of Jesus, the way Jesus' ministry, the way the early church world would have felt to them. All right? Israel's primarily like this agricultural society. That's why a lot of Jesus' parables are vine and branches and seed on paths and that kind of thing, is they would have understood those metaphors. Imagine a 50% tax rate by your lovely friends called the Roman Empire. Imagine being extorted if you ran across a Roman soldier and he said, give me a bribe or I am going to put false charges against you and take you into court. And if that's not enough, 
Imagine your fellow Jewish friends who became tax collectors, not only charging you what you owe, but charging their own uh, profit beyond that so that they can get wealthy while you struggle as you give away more than half of your income to the powers that be. And maybe on the spot even more than that to avoid jail and feeling oppressed. Imagine your faith being a Christian being illegal. Primarily illegal because Rome expected you to worship Caesar and to call Caesar Lord. And as a Christian, you know you cannot do that. But then imagine that same government not only expecting you to worship Caesar, but require you to pay a fee to get a receipt that shows that you donated to, to the Roman government honoring Caesar as Lord. So you had to pay some of your income to get a receipt that showed you'd paid your tribute to Caesar as Lord as a Christian. And you can't take the religious exemption because the religious exemption would say Jesus as Lord was considered treason. And that's why it was illegal. Maybe that's better. So maybe, so in other words, you're being, you're paying your taxes, you're paying your friend's livelihood, you're paying more than your income out, and you're paying to honor somebody who wasn't God as God as a Christian, or be arrested, thrown into prison, maybe hauled off to be killed by gladiators. This is your world that you're trying to operate in. Imagine if converting to Christianity also meant you could no longer be a part of your particular craft guild, if you're, a, if you're a metalsmith and the metalsmith association required you to honor this God over here to be a part of it, and when you become a Christian, you can no longer worship that God because you can only worship God, now you're cut off from your network, from where you get your clients, from where you get your business contacts, from where you get your resources and training, where you get your job stability. And to say yes to Jesus would be to turn your back on that. The army that walks around in your neighborhood as a Jewish person, the 10th Legion of Rome, their symbols were the bull and the boar. You consider pigs unclean, and God punished your people for worshiping a golden calf. And here's the Roman Empire bearing those symbols extorting money from you. There were no church buildings until 200 years after Jesus. You didn't go to church church like Christian church. You went to temple. So you, you worshipped in your own home in fear of being arrested for treason. And not only that, your own religious leaders in the temple consider the teachings of Jesus a threat to their power. And they could get you blocked from the temple because you were not following what they consider to be the Old Testament scriptures. And then somebody says, do you become a Christian? Are you signing up? How would you live like that? How would you have to figure out how to make that work? And yet, the faith grew. The church grew. We've been reading Acts 2. Peter's first sermon produces 3,000 converts... So the church grows under the circumstances I just described. Imagine living in those circumstances and hearing the words of Jesus that say this, Love your enemies. 
If a Roman soldier asks you to walk a mile, walk two. Turn the other cheek. Put their needs above your own. When the reality is, you can barely care for your own family because of the extortion and the oppression you live under. And yet the Christian faith grows. And more people... Well, why would it grow? Yes, Jesus' teachings about love your enemies who just extorted from you, love your neighbor who just extorted from you, love the government, support the government that just crushed your livelihood. That's a tough message. A faith that's illegal, that's a tough sell. But when you're living under that oppression and a group of Christians say, you haven't eaten in three days because they taxed you, come to our house, we're having a meal. Or they say, the Roman soldier took your cloak, we've got spare over at this guy's house, come by and pick one up this afternoon. In other words, the faith grew in part because it grew in response to the oppression that was in the culture. That Rome is persecuting, the church responds to it and goes, not only love them, but we've got your back while you do. You haven't eaten, we'll take care of you. You have this need, we will take care of you. We'll watch out for you. And then you look at that person and go, well, how are you even functioning? If, if they're doing that to you and they're doing it to me, how does that even work? And that person tells you we do it because Christ first loved us. All of a sudden, that message is very compelling. Wait, wait, wait. God loves you, so you love these people that are doing this to you. And if I'm with you, I will help get, it'll help get my needs met. Not because you have to, not because I'm extorting you, because you want to be generous with me. That message is a message of hope. That message is what we would call good news. You haven't eaten in three days because Rome took all your money. Good news, we have food, come over. Why? Because Jesus wants us to love you this way. You don't, I can't pay you back. You don't have to. You're not expected to. Just come and hear why we do what we do. I'm going to read Acts 2 again because now that I've explained all that, listen to this passage. This is chapter 2, verse 42 and following. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Awe came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs that were being done by the apostles. All who, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as to any who had need. Day by day they spent as much time together in the, spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They broke bread in homes with glad and generous hearts. People being oppressed the way I described were happy to be together, breaking bread with joy and generosity when they're pushed to the brink of survival. And then there's that last little caveat, and God added to their number by day. We get excited when people come to church on Sunday. Hey, there's more people here today. You know, day by day, God honored 
their generosity toward each other by adding to their group? What if church looked like that now? What if we were so generous and so known for the love that we're demonstrating to our fellow neighbors, to the needs that are in Starkville, that God grew our church every single day? We wouldn't have enough chairs. We wouldn't have enough Sunday school teachers. We wouldn't have enough parking spaces, you know? If the world knew what we know, if the world knew the good news we know, and the generosity and gladness in our hearts of being in fellowship together and making sure each other's needs are met, marketing wouldn't be an issue. But instead, how are Christians known? What are they known for? Quite frankly, Christianity is conflated with a political party these days. And if you believe this, then you're this, and you're that kind of person, and that's the character, and you're known for what you're against if you subscribe to that faith, not for joy and generosity, not for love. We're known as hate. Because if we take a moral stance on anything, then we just hate. The early church in Acts 2 didn't leave, lead with, oh, you worship that God, you're a bad person. You notice that? There's nothing in the passage about, oh, well, you, you check your idols at the door. We're over here. No. They met together in their homes. They broke bread. They were glad and joyous and made sure, you got, need, you got this need, you got this need, we're going to cover it this week. We got, your, we got you covered. You need a cloak, we got a cloak. You need a babysitter while you go to your trade, we got a babysitter while you go to your trade. We're going to make sure you're good. Yes, Jesus wants you to give up idols. <laughs> you know, it's a totally different pitch, right? Because if I just fed you for a week and kept your family alive, you're much more willing to hear what I have to say about God, Jesus, Bible, than if I come to you with, how dare you worship something else? How dare you not be this kind of person? How dare you not believe what I believe? Is a totally different sale pitch. Not, not every church does that, and, and it's, it's situational, I get it. And we should take moral stances, I agree. But the early church was known for loving first in response to a world that was trying to rob the people of everything. And things are totally different now. Nobody's oppressed financially. Nobody's facing challenges. Nobody's facing struggles. Nobody can afford... Everybody can afford 409, right? You know what I mean? Like, everybody's above the poverty level and fine. It's America. There's all kinds of opportunity. Anybody can do anything they ever want. Except that's not true, right? I mean, there's some opportunities out there. More now than when I was growing up, you know, pre-internet. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities out there. But not everybody has access to those opportunities. And even when they do, they don't even know, necessarily know what to do with them. Here's a million dollars. I'm broke next week. You know, like, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> but what the church is doing is they're committed to demonstrating God's love to others. Now, what I love in the phrase that I just read, in the passage I just read, it says, they had the goodwill of the people. Duh. <laughs> right? I mean, if they're feeding you and they're clothing you and they're helping you in response to what's happening in your world, of course you like them. I, was, uh, I did campus ministry for a really, really long time. And um, 
we had this middle school club, and now, by the way, this is crazy, but we had 500 middle schoolers in a gymnasium in Madison, Mississippi, okay? Before school, free stuff, loud music, fun games, middle schoolers. Yes, please. You know, that's how it worked. And uh, when my boss at the time, a guy who'd been doing it longer than I ever knew, he'd forgotten more about ministry than I knew, got onto a stage about this high above the gym floor at the end of the club, opened a ginormous Halloween-sized bag of candy and dumped it on the floor as a prize for winning of a game or something. He might as well have thrown chum to piranha. <laughs> you know what I mean? Middle schoolers. <laughs> and so, like, it's this body pile. Now, everything, he should have known, I should have known. That's not how you give out candy to middle schoolers. That's how you maim somebody. You know what I mean? You give it out like, like they give out the T-shirt guns at basketball games. You spray it into the crowd. You don't dump it in one spot on the floor in front of 200 middle schoolers. Right, Maddie? So we're pulling bodies off this flesh pile that has formed in front of the stage. I mean, literally, the adult volunteers are like, get up! You know, it's, it's like a scrum or some fight's broken out of a football game. We're like throwing them off. We get to the very bottom of the pile, and there's this little tiny sixth-grade girl. Her glasses are like, you know, I mean... And she looks up, and she's laying on about two-thirds of the pile. And she looks up with her eyes and goes, it's all mine. <laughs> I'll never forget that. By the way, that was like 25 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the funniest thing ever. I'm like, we're all worried about their safety. And she's like, ha, 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 you know. It was fantastic. Now, all they were doing is on campus and blessing these kids, and they're like, and, and sharing the gospel and building relationships with them. This girl's like, I got all the candy, you know. It's, of course, we had the goodwill of the middle schoolers. You know, we used to do club launches with free Krispy Kreme to everybody. <laughs> you know, you've never lived until you've given free Krispy Kreme donuts to 600 middle schoolers in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is possible, by the way, I have done it, <laughs> okay. But, I mean, of course we have their goodwill, Right. If we're doing all this stuff, of course we have the goodwill of the people. Because we're known for how... Not because, oh, that's the place to get free stuff. That's not even the way we want to be known either. Right? We want to be known that we're doing this out of love and compassion for you. Not because we're going to get something out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We want to, gener to demonstrate God's love to a community that needs to hear it. Because when we look at Scripture over and over again... What we discover is that the mission of God is restoration. It's always been his mission. From Adam and Eve, when he looks at them and says, the seed, your, your seed will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. God has always been building back what was broken by the fall. And what he has done is he invited the church into participation in that mission. If you look at Colossians chapter 1... One of my all-time favorite passages in all of Scripture, Colossians 1. I have various bookmarks here, so you know, hang on. Which one's Colossians, I'm guessing? There we go. All right, Colossians 1. This is verses 15 through 20. Talking about Jesus here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, even the Roman Empire. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. 
And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Reconciliation of all things. Unfortunately, we tend to make the Christian faith about a profession of faith. Check, you're a Christian, have a great life. Are you a sinner? Do you repent? Do you, Jesus loves you. Have a good week. Colossians 1, Paul declares that God's mission is the restoration of all things. That means the planet, the place we live, the world we live in, the families that are broken, the, the addict that needs to get off of drugs and alcohol. He wants to restore and reconcile all things to him through Jesus. In other words, helping somebody with their household livelihood is as much gospel as the four spiritual laws. And what he invites the church into is that restoration process. He wants us to participate in putting right what's been made wrong. It's not just flee from... It is flee from sin. Because that's part of making it right. Living right is part of making it right. But when something's broken, when there is a need, our response as a church is to respond to that need. Look at the first part of Colossians again. Did I find the right bookmark? Again. Here we go. This is verse 3, going backwards a little bit. Paul talking to the church at Colossae, In our prayers for you, you always, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel, that has come to you just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. He's made known what? Your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him as you bear fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. How does Paul pray for the church at Colossae? We have heard about your love and we cannot stop giving thanks for that. And then he says, May you be strengthened and given wisdom and given patience for enduring all things, like being arrested, being persecuted, being oppressed, 
May you have the power to live your faith in the face of all of that. So that while you are doing the good work, you are bearing fruit. While you are being charitable, while you are being missional, while you are being generous, you're bearing fruit for the kingdom. It's participation in the gospel to seek the restoration of all things. I think Peter might have put it even better than all of that. Is this 1 Peter? Nope, that's Colossians. This is 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that the war against the, uh, the, war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may... may Though they may align you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Peter says, live faithfully. Live as aliens. Live as exiles. Live such good lives. This is the way 12 is translated the other way. Live such good lives in front of those who don't believe that even though they may accuse you of stuff, will glorify God because of your good deeds. Those pesky Romans that are oppressing you, be so good and be so faithful in front of them that even though they may come after you, they'll have to go, those Christians are loving and generous no matter what we do to them. You can say everything you want about them, they're loving and they're generous because of their God. Live such good lives in front of those who don't believe that they may recognize God in you would be another way to say it. That's the mission that he has invited us to participate in. To be so good and to be so loving and to be so generous that the whole world knows who we are and who we love. We're we're, we're invited to participate individually. You, yourself. There is no, okay, but that's Charlie's job because he's a pastor. He's good at sharing the gospel and all that. That's his job. I don't really, that's not my thing. How many times in church have you heard, that's not my gift? Some of you have said it, uh, just stepped on your toes, right? If you are a Christian and you don't think you are called to ministry, you are missing everything I just said for 20 minutes. Individually, you have a calling on your life. That's why we call it a vocation. You are invited personally into the mission of God. You might be at a school, you might be a student. You might be a doctor, you might be a lawyer, you might be a real estate agent. You are still invited into living such a good life in front of the rest that the world will know who you worship. That's vocation. A really good accountant that can keep Christians out of jail with their money management is a good thing. Okay? I mean, there is something to be done in whatever your walk of life is. It's your particular unique calling that God has called you to. He's put you in a place to be a part of the body of Christ. But it's individual, personal vocation, but it's also corporate. That's why we have a Blessing Sunday where we collectively gather items. Or we collectively do a mission project. We can do more together than we can on our own. It's one of the things about the Methodist church that's so great. That we give to the Methodist Church, but part of it goes to a much bigger impact. 
And all the churches combined can have an even broader impact. There was a season a while back where the entire United Methodist Church did a campaign to buy mosquito nets for groups in Africa so that they wouldn't get malaria. Now, if Connection said, okay, we're going to buy mosquito nets for Africa, we buy like three next week, you know what I mean? You bring the entire denomination into that mix, and they bought thousands of them. So it's an individual vocational call, but it's also a corporate one. Another little passage here. You may recognize this particular passage of Scripture. It's marked somewhere. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18. I'll just read part of this. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot would say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it not less any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So what is Paul's making the obvious metaphor, right? You've got your own part to play. You're an eye, you're a finger, you're a sense of smell, you're some part of the body. That is your vocation. But just because your vocation is smell doesn't mean you're any less part of the body as the foot that carries you there. <laughs> I mean, it's on the, the metaphor could be any more on purpose, right? It's one body of Christ made up of different vocations from this side of the room to this side of the room to beyond. We all have a part to play, but together we're the body of Christ. We are meant to be restorers too. Colossians 1, I will restore all things through Jesus Christ. That is the mission of God. And he has told his body, you are to be restorers. He's instilled in us a sense of this is not the way it ought to be. You can't watch social media for five minutes or the news for five minutes and not come to the conclusion that the world is not the way it ought to be. The people we come in contact with and we hear their story, there's something inside of us that says that's not the way it ought to be. We have a sense given by the Spirit to know the way the world should look that's beyond the way the outside world looks at it. The outside world sees a problem, All right, let's throw some money at it fix the problem. We understand reality better. We see the world as it is. We see it better because we know that the heart of poverty, at the, art, at the heart of murder and strife and all the things that are going on, is sin and fallen people in need of a Savior. And no government program is going to wipe out sin. So we understand reality better than those outside the church because we know that anytime there's people involved, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> Even the church. Anybody perfect? I'm not raising my hand. I'm showing you. Raise your hand. Anybody perfect? Exactly. <laughs> you don't come to church because you're perfect. You want to show everybody else how perfect you are. You come to church because you're not perfect. If we all got together and did a project, it'd be a mess because we're not perfect. <laughs> now imagine not understanding that fundamental piece of how the world operates and just thinking people are basically good. And then they cheat you and your worldview your world is broken. It's shattered. 
we rightly understand how the world is. And as we participate in the mission of God, it's our calling to discern what it is we can do and what we will do to be restorers. That's why we have Blessing Sundays. That's why I started out as we started talking. I said, turn on your radar. What in Starkville needs to be fixed? I don't mean just a repair job of somebody's house, although it could be that. I mean, literally, what is it about Starkville that we as Connection need to put Starkville first? Yes, that's a play on words. Right? This body is individual vocation, but this body is also here for the flourishing of Starkville. That might be college students and exam slam. I'm good with that. That might be a family that needs some painting and some restoration of their home so that they can function and be safe. I'm good with that too. That might be a bunch of teachers that are stressed out by now and it's only September and there's something we can do to bless them. I'm totally good with that too. Believe me, where's my teachers at? There's one, there's one. We all have stress in our jobs, but we know teachers do. Here's 30, 30 kids that are representative of the fall, all day, every day. <laughs> Everything I said about sin nature, <laughs> right? The sixth grade girl, it's all mine. You know what I mean? Like, that's where they're wired. And they get the honor in the position of influence over 30 of them every day or 20 of them or whatever the class size is these days. Every day, all day. And if they have a family, they come home to more of that at home. <laughs> you know, I got three of those at home too. You know, that kind of... Everybody has a need. And in Acts 2, the church said, if they have need, we will meet it. The world needs us now to live such good lives in front of it that they'll know who we love by our actions, by the way that we live as we participate in the restoration and the reconciliation of all things. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we know that you have called us to more than we even hope or imagine. We know that even as we go, even as we are living these lives, that you are with us. Thank you for inviting us into your plan. For forgiving our sins, for reconciling us to you through Jesus. And then for giving us a role to play in the reconciliation of all things. Help us to do it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Let's stand.